This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend and colleague, Jill Brown, as we chat about the components about what makes Scottish cashmere so special, why it's loved by people all around the globe, and why every design house has a Scottish mill in their little black book. Butte Fabrics. Walking into Butte, you get the sense that the cyclical world of fashion has been delving into their archive of late to create key trends and fashion forecasts. Dig a little deeper and you realise that the Scottish textile industry processes a certain kind of style that never really dates. And that is Butte in microcosm with a dreamy Don Draper madman air and a certain 1960s chic chiselled into its core. The story of Butte fabric is an interesting one. It sees Island and company share a unique family history as the fifth Marquis of Butte set up the business in 1947 to provide employment for returning servicemen and women. The Butte family have been inextricably linked to the island and its development ever since. John Butte, the seventh Marquis of Butte, and other family members are shareholders and the owners of the business to this day. Their client list reads like a who's who in all walks of industry, with the fabrics being used all around the globe, from Hong Kong to New York, all the way back home to UK shores. Butte specialises in everything from hard-wearing wool fabrics right the way up to the softest cashmeres. The 50s and 60s saw the mill everywhere, in glossy magazines such as Harper's Bazaar, as well as the Buenos Aires Herald. How fancy. Even half a century ago, Butte Fabrics was creating outerwear that wouldn't look out of place in today's catwalks. And that's a testament to how well those fabrics have been designed. As the fashion landscape changed, so too did consumer desire for Butte's product. The need for apparel waned while interiors took off, and as a result, the design-led initiative and collaborations, Butte became one of the UK's best-known and most respected upholstery fabric manufacturers. They've worked with renowned designers such as Jasper Morrison, Tom Dixon, and Scottish favourites, Timorous Beasties. The Butte collection has set the highest standards for the industry that keep people coming back to them. In partnership with leading international furniture manufacturers, Butte has become synonymous with sophisticated contemporary textiles for hospitality, auditoria, and corporate applications. For me, Butte understand colour. This might have something to do with the cacophony that they get to clock every day while on the island of Butte. The density of their landscape is echoed inside the mill. Their team have an incredible eye when it comes to blending, plus they aren't afraid to be bold and take some risks. Pattern choices have a modern air to them while incorporating classic themes like herringbone and houndstooth. When you walk into this world, it's the kind of place that you wish you could live. Then you rapidly realise that the daydream could be reality. All you have to do is pick the fabric and reupholster. Which you've done on your dining room chairs, haven't you? Uh, yes, but that is um, my beloved DC Dalgleish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, when you when you mill hop, that is the the difficulty. You kind of want to take fabric from everywhere, and I suppose you can. Um, but no, I I reupholstered my dodgy dining room chairs 
when we first moved in here years ago um and it was with the offcuts so it was really really cheap i bought um the offcuts it was a, i think it was like a kilogram bag um and you can get them you can get them uh, from any um, mill site and it's like 10 to 20 pounds for a giant bag of material it's and literally it's just the offcuts of, of whatever they've been leaving and i did listen to this six dining room chairs and then I had enough to give uh, my best friend Lou a Christmas present with the excess and she did her dining room chairs with the same bag. And that's, you know, in everything we've been talking about, you know, it's, there's no waste, nope. there's no, and then there's that important thing about just injecting new life into older pieces of furniture or, you know, a bit of colour. Like, I do feel like recently the trend for everything being grey. Yeah upsets me a little bit like I I remember when I started my job in Manchester and someone who didn't know me very well at all said to me in everything you wear there's always one pop of color and I'd never noticed that about myself mm -hmm. and then now if you look at my houses they've always been the same there's there's quite there's there's at least a pattern in every room or there's a pop of color or there's something and I, I don't I don't know where I learned that I don't know where that came from but certainly you know, when I've done done houses up, people have gone when they've seen a choice, and then when they see it in context, they're like, "Oh no, no, I see what you've done there yeah. because it's and a it's, big space." It's or... all about you you wanting to live in it, you know, mm -hmm. and it not feeling like a cold museum. And I think that particularly Scottish fabrics and the way that they are produced, from you know tweeds to tartans, it's all about the celebration of colour and those things being fused together and even if you have a really really plain aesthetic just one pop of tartan actually can completely transport you to a different theme or but still remaining quite chic so no I'm, I'm a big fan of, of doing that although I'm, I'm like you I will put leopard print with zebra print actually that's not like you at all but yeah I am loud when it comes to yeah you're louder than me as opposed to any of the other mills, which are, are really dress orientated, really specialise in upholstery. And that gets you thinking about the house, you know, and, and other people's houses and how they design. And, and even like I really, really like going into spaces that have been um, like opera rooms and uh, museums. And there's, there's a room in oh, the, it's the National Gallery, so you're the big one the kids room and they've got all sorts of fabrics mixed with plastics and, and you get to play and touch and I really really love that room and, and that's the, you know a conscious decision about how you put fabric with the everyday living which I think is so so important and I'm really into doing a dining table like I love laying a dining table out and putting fabric down on a dining table and wrapping little bits of glass you know, like glassware with ribbons and putting flowers in. And I love mashing together tartan and flowers. Like I just love it. It's my favourite thing to do. It's funny, isn't it, as well, about like what you're saying about homes for a living. And I do think that, you know, uh, we can talk about it in a minute, but and I've just finished a big renovation. The first thing they do, especially if they've got children with them, is they want to take their shoes off. And I'm not bothered about that. And then they're worried about anyone touching anything. And really? I'm like through my family there are multiple dogs in and out of that house at any given point and I understand there's a, a bit about respect there and but that's that's never what I want for my home I want people to come in I want them to be comfortable mm -hmm. I want them to I mean we're sat on your 
velvet sofa, which your children who are like all over all the time. Yeah, there's, there's I'm the same. Splashes of Weetabix and several uh, tons of crumb, but that's that's the home. You know, that's your that's your house. And um, yeah, I think you're right. Why would you have a tactile fabric and then not let people touch it? Yeah, there's there's some very different people in the world, aren't they? And I I'm I'm a spiller. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay that the yeah. carpet will get something spilled on it. And I'm okay that the the tartan seats will be spilled on and and that's okay because they're they're the offcuts, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure if I spent a fortune on and no, actually actually we spent a small fortune on the sofas that you're currently sit, sitting on and the kids get to eat their breakfast on it. So yeah, I think you just wipe down, right? I think there's that moment, isn't there, where something is new and just about a few months ago um, I've got a velvet sofa in my sort of kitchen living space and I caught my foot on the wooden flooring and I threw my smoothie in like a sort of slow motion could have been like a stain advert moment and I just watched it fly across my uh, sofa and at the same time my dad decided to pop in with the dog and say hi I was like you can't come in he was like, "Why?" It's like because I've got like a major incident happening. He's a like, "Major." He's what like, "Color was the the smoothie." The smoothie was berries, bananas, oh. and peanut butter, and the sofa is like a navy blue. But I think because it was velvet and because the smoothie was thick, yeah, this is now like Mrs. Hinch's podcast. But it sort of repelled it, and it was fine. But my mum said a really interesting thing after she was like that's it now you'll not be precious about it like the worst the worst thing has happened and it was savable there's a tiny bit that didn't come out but she was like now you'll not you know there's like that with anything isn't there your first job your first mistake whatever you're like all right that's that's it ruined now so this then prompts me to tell you when you do spill on cashmere which is inevitable because we spill all the time. So you say you do have a jumper on or, or whatever, or in fact, not just on cashmere, on, on anything. Um, the best thing to do, but particularly for woolen cashmere, is just get it wet straight away. So uh-huh. get it under the sink. It doesn't matter whether or not you're going to have a big wet, you know, stain for the next 20 minutes, because it's about not letting that dry in because it will absolutely leave a stain. So the moment that you spill coffee or the moment that you... Uh, you know, an ice lolly goes down or whatever, you know, from the kids. Just get it off and rinse it under, give it a good, and then, then it'll come off and then it will, it absolutely will come out in the wash. Just to be really anal about it. When you are washing your cashmere jumpers, when they come out at wool temperature, so you have to wash them at 30, and you can put them in the machine, you have to lay them flat, you can't hang them up. So you put your cashmere in the machine? I, I do, I, I've always put my cashmere in the machine at 30. Yeah. I would never have done that. Why? I don't know. Because the one really beautiful piece of cashmere I have you gave me, and I think it might never go on my back. It might go in some form of frame. <laughs> no, I want you to wear that jumper. I will wear please. it. I promise I will wear it. Uh, no, no, no. You stick it in at 30. Um, the only problem is that it, it doesn't clean the way a 40 does, obviously because of the temperature. But um, if there's a smell or whatever, then you can give it a really good hand scrub at, like before or after. But yeah, I, I prefer to stick my cashmere in the machine just because it drains better you know it puts on a spin and but you have to get a clean towel and lie on the floor it needs to be dried flat or else it will take the shape of whatever you've done so you know say you, you've put it over a clothes horse it will fold in the middle and you will always have that okay. bit in the middle or if you, you know you put peg in the shoulders or even if you um do stick it up 
you'll stretch out the fabric, you know, it'll, it'll come down, which is it's good. If you... So my houndstooth will become grey houndstooth. Yeah. Really long and skinny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the one thing I really like about fabrics and interiors is that it gives you an accessible point of being able to change a room, but for not very much money. And I think that in this day and age, when you want to freshen something up, that that's really, really important. The one thing that I also really like about fabric and interiors is that you can take a risk and it's not, you know, like you could buy a pillow or a cushion or a throw or, and, and that can completely change your room, just like plants and mirrors and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm only smiling because I'm remembering my, from last episode, my thousand pounds. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's, that's not a cheap investment. A Make sure you really game. like that one. You're right. Again, and this, this goes back to when we we're talking about our wardrobe, there are accent access points for all of that, isn't there? You can, you could buy a 20 quid cushion or a five quid cushion. You could buy a 30 pound throw or an a thousand pound throw. And, I think that you just do whatever it is that you feel comfortable with and what you can afford. But interiors for me is something that I have come at much later in life. You know, I was really fortunate at the age of 21 and my mum helped me out and it was right before everything got incredibly expensive. I bought my first flat in Gorgie. Um, it was a wee tiny one bedroom place that I ended up staying in forever. Um, but I could never afford to really properly do it up. And so it stayed the way that it looked until right at the very end when I, put, I finally put a new kitchen in, which cost a fortune. Like it was the, it's the smallest space. It was seven foot wide by a, by 11 foot. You know, you could, you could stand and touch the walls. It was like galley kitchen tiny. And that kitchen still cost me an absolute fortune. But I was 21 when we bought it. And like I said, we, you know, I, did, I, I think we invested in a couch and a bed and everything else just had to kind of make do and mend. You know, I've got some white paint and I took up the, the carpets and sanded the floors myself. Um, but that was the start of a journey that I think I've probably continued down the road in. So my interiors dream always starts with Gumtree. I'm obsessed with trawling for not necessarily antiques, but you know, for things I like. So I like glass cabinets and uh, sideboards and uh, vintage cases. And yeah, I, I, Gumtree is my favorite place to do that. And you bought me, so uh, I bought my first property when I was 31. And that was a new build in Manchester when I worked in Manchester. And I sold that and I bought, in your old hood, I bought on the south side of Glasgow a beautiful tenement basement and you bought me this beautiful glass cabinet. 1940s. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's got the world's most beautiful feet, like little delicate, like little dog feet. Uh, they are, I think they are called Princess Anne feet. Are they? Yes. Um, and that sat in my hall in the tenement for a long time. And now... Sadly, there's no home for it in my cottage. So my mum's got it. Mm. She's like, I'm having that. I was like, absolutely. Well, after that, I, um, speaking of interiors, I like I like to buy people things for their houses when they get on the property ladder. 
and I like to buy them things that they wouldn't buy themselves. So that's why I offered to get you a drinks cabinet. But my other friend, Sherry, I don't know if I've told you this, I bought her a seat from a bus. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's the most amazing thing. So Sherry is this, you know, larger than life character. She has bright orange hair. She is the most beautiful soul inside and out. And she bought in the south side of Glasgow. And it was last year. And I said to her, right, okay, what do you, you know, I'd love to buy you something because it was on her own. She was, she was on her own. I'd love to buy you something for the house. And she was like, okay, I'll send you my color themes over. Um, and so she was mood boarding um, the, and the mood board theme came out that she was really vibing a 1960s, 1970s corporation bus from Glasgow, which was a kind of olivey dark green um, cream and orange. And so she, she kept showing me these color palettes and then showing me the buses. And so I was like, if I can find a vintage bus seat, do you want it? And she was like, oh my God, if you can find me a vintage bus seat, yes. And I found one on Gumtree, a Lothian bus. There was two, a Lothian bus, vintage bus seat. And it was in Long Nidry. So I'm poor, poor husband. Had to drive out one wet, wild night and go and pick it up. And when I brought it in, uh, the then two-year-old was so excited. Like, <laughs> can we keep it? Can we keep it? Um, but we couldn't. We had to drive to Glasgow and give it to Sherry. And you know, you know the um, Lothian bus fabric. You know, it's kind of itchy and wiry. Um, but it was the it, it was red and it had um, little kind of cream flecks through it. And it didn't go with Sherry's theme at all. You know that her colour scheme see when we got it in the house because I thought that we would um reupholster it with some tartan or something and that's what I'd said so I'll, I'll buy the seat and then well, we can think about changing it and we'll see when we got it in the house it just worked it was the most amazing thing to see and so she yes she, she has it in the house it's it's it looks incredible and it's just so quirky and so hard so that's my favorite thing I think that I've ever bought somebody as a present from Gumtree and it goes back to what we were saying in that there is absolutely necessity for Ikea. I wouldn't be without it. There's a lot of things oh, of that went into my house from Ikea. Look at all the Billy bookcases. Exactly. Sitting Every, in this very room. Everybody needs Ikea in their life. I don't care what anybody says. But you can upcycle it or you can make it different. But also what's so lovely is because these things from 50, 60, 70 yeah. years ago were made to last, they still exist and they're still now doing the rounds. And I love this sort of return to sort of mid-century modern yeah. and these beautiful pieces that people are lovingly restoring or putting their own twist on Absolutely. or an amazing Instagram page called Muck and Brass mm -hmm. and she does mad things you know really mad wild prints mm -hmm. that she creates and she herself was actually um she came up with you know the sort of vinyls you can put on your nails yeah so she invented those. She was the sort of nail technician on Maleficent and oh. things like that. And she worked out if she did that, it lasted so much longer. And Angelina Jolie didn't have to be in makeup every day getting her nails done. Mm -hmm. So that's what she did initially. And then she's then basically applied that sort of vinyl technique to covering panels and mm -hmm. old mid-century furniture. Wow. But it's like mad mad wild barbie print or you know she does these amazing big you would love it i'll show you it. okay and the whole idea is that it's just there are no rules yeah. like you know that piece of furniture has existed for so long 
you buy it for a bargainous price, it doesn't end up in landfill, it yes. doesn't end up being destroyed. And then all that happens is that the only limitation is your imagination. Mm -hmm. She does workshops, she's based in London, she does workshops and stuff like that. Or you can buy a piece of hers that she's already done. But her big thing is that she wants to encourage you to do it and yeah. be like, you can do this. Well, we, so there's a few things in the house that over the years I've I've collected. Um, and there's a wee place, place on Easter Road. I don't know whether or not, I don't even know what it's called, but there there's two properties, um, two shops on Easter Road that they do house clearances. And so you can't physically get in the door sometimes. For, I know exactly where you are. I don't know what it's called, but it's, yeah. it, it's on Easter Road. And if you walk down Easter Road, if you ever come to Edinburgh, you'll find it because they're, they're both there. Um, but I found two telephone tables you know, these are eight, 1980s classics, right? The other half, and I was like, I'm buying a couple of telephone tables. And he was like, oh, why? Number one, nobody sits at a phone, you know, like it's just, it sounds bonkers. But the uh, we've got a projector and the Xbox, and that's what it sits on. And so I've reupholstered the seat for that. So the kids jump on and off it, and I just absolutely adore it. But um, the, one of the other things that I really love from this house that I got was for a Christmas present for uh, my husband two years ago. We'd talked about trying to find the perfect grandfather clock just for old romance, you know, like, the, the, you know that song, my grandfather's clock was too tall for the shelf. So I've been singing that since I was a kid and I've always had this notion that, that my home would have a grandfather's clock. So I went on Gumtree this Christmas and thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find him one under 100 quid and I managed it um but the really amusing part of this which we will completely appreciate Jill knows that I can't drive I would kill people so I never took 10 <laughs> lessons and stopped it at that I didn't want to cause any major incidents post driving so I don't do it um never got a test because I'm terrible at it so sometimes I have to rely on the kindness, kindness of strangers or family or extended family. And so this Christmas present came from Kirk and Tillich and we're in Edinburgh. Um, and I think it was like a sort of salvage secondhand place. And I called my brother-in-law and was like, hello, <laughs> what are you doing today? Very bu busy CEO man. And he was like, what is it you need? I was like, could you potentially go and pick up a grandfather clock? And he was like, are you kidding? He said, it's for Jamie's Christmas present. And he's like, oh, I can't say no now, can I? I'm like, no, you can't. And so listen to this. Right, I'm going to get up right now. He had to drive the M8 with this rattling. Good to hear this. For 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets loud. Like... So... <laughs> That's me rattling the grandfather clock, everybody. I would not suggest that you do that to your own antiques. Um, but he took a video because he was obviously driving out slowly. Can you still hear it? Yeah. <laughs> Such a lovely noise. Um, anyway, he was driving out of the place and it was making that noise lightly. And he's a drummer, so he's used to noise. And then see when he hit 70 on the, the motorway. <laughs> so this video is the best video. He's just looking at the road like... Oh man. It's like a very extreme gong bath. <laughs> yeah. Or a really cheap gong bath. Totally. It's the Lynn Coleman version of a gong bath. Yeah, I felt really bad. <laughs> so on Christmas morning, um, they were all here and Jamie obviously knew that it was a grandfather clock because even when you wrap it up, it's kind of 
a dead giveaway. And anytime you walked across the wooden floorboard, because of where it was sitting by the tree, it would go, <laughs> like, damn it, damn it. Um, but on Christmas morning, when Stephen came around, we played the video to Jamie and he was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. It's a Christmas gift from both of us because yes. she bought it, but I drove it. <laughs> you know, that the clock was made in the 30s, I'm pretty sure, 30s or 40s. Um, and it's had, you know, it's been, it's been in a, a family's life. And then it came to our family and instantly it had a story wrapped around it. And I'm never getting rid of it. And I want one of the boys to have it. And so they'll have stories wrapped around it. It's funny because I think you can fall in and out of love, can't you? Because I've just done a big renovation on my house in the borders. And there's points where you're like, if somebody asks me what tap I want, I might cry. And that sounds, that is an absolute point of privilege to come at that from. But it's like, and I remember my really good friend who just renovated a house. Taps are bloody expensive. Well, that's the other thing. The things that you think are going to cost you the money are not the things that cost you the money. And a really good friend of mine did her house down in Trinity in Edinburgh. And she was like, it will drive you mad. And I was like, no. One, I am relentlessly organized. I love stuff like this. And two, you're making your own house. Like, how can you possibly? But then there's just, I remember... The electrician, because there's lots of low ceilings, obviously, in my house. Some of it dates back to 1852. Some of it's a sort of 1990s extension. So I could look in the top of the lampshade hanging from the, you know, what you call in Scotland, the big light. Yeah, yeah. I could look in the top of it. Now, I am tall. I'm five foot ten. But that's ridiculous. Still, yeah. So, so the, we, the ceilings have been lowered that much? No, no, they were just that because it's so old. Because I'm a giant in comparison to 1852 times. Yeah. So I now have spotlights in the ceiling. I had a choice of four. They all looked exactly the same. Oh, but did they? Are you just being... Because I said to the electrician, what's the difference? Mostly price. And I was oh. like, show me the cheapest one. And he showed me the cheapest one. And I said, show me the most expensive one. And he showed me that. And I was like, they look the same. Did they? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah. So I think we should just go with the cheapest ones. I was like, I think we should go with the cheapest ones too. Now, you have to factor in stuff for home. Like, if you bought the cheapest tap, sometimes it doesn't work as well as going the next couple up. I don't know if that would be the case for a spotlight. So if your electrician is saying to you, yeah, just go for the cheapest one, then fair enough. And there are things you do want to spend money on. So for example, um, I've got beautiful wooden flooring and I really wanted uh, like a chevron or a herringbone. And I had an eye on one thing. And my brother, God love him, who did almost all the work, was like, really a chevron? Because that's way harder. Um, I was like, don't buy that. It's like, it's, it's cheaper. But the problem is it's, um, so what you want to buy, unless you've got lots of money, you will buy a form of composite or engineered mm. wood. But what you want to buy is something that's got like a surface on it of about four to six mil. Because okay. then when you scratch it, you can sand it and okay. you can repair it. And okay. I hadn't initially chosen that. So what actually then stretch my budget quite a lot, but it now means my floor will last. Yeah, of course. Especially if there will be dogs and little people and various other and things. high heels. Yeah, High shoes. heels on wooden floors are not friends. So that is, that was the big lesson. So there are some things that you, and the internet is a wonderful thing. I've got a very beautiful, it almost looks like a, like a cable knit jumper. My mm-hmm. carpet's got like a, pat, a slight pattern and texture to it, which I got for, six pence a square meter um because I bought it online and I was lucky in that it could be stored in my house mm-hmm. whilst it was being renovated 
there are things you can get a deal on absolutely there are some things that you definitely shouldn't yeah really 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 good tradesmen and they're really hard to find and things like your wooden flooring things that you want to last things that you want well, to be I've able never, to repair yeah, i've never done a renovation the way that you have i mean you bought the cottage down in the borders uh, just a little over a year ago now right fifth of july last fifth of july yeah. and that's you know that's a completely different ball game to just moving into a house and not doing anything because you can't mm. you know and I, I, you know I, i'm in the most amazing house that probably should be done up but I, you know that's that's staying the way it is but i think that that was really brave of you to just go in and be like i need to renovate this place it's a really brave decision i think there's there's a very fine line between ignorance and courage and i think that you you fell foul of which <laughs> yeah uh I, I think i was brave i do think i was brave um, but I think that my courage was fueled by my ignorance about just how difficult it would be. And a lot of it is dealing with trades. And I was really lucky because my brother did quite a lot of that for me. Yeah. Um, it is the one time where I really am aware of how far we've not come in our sort of gender relationships. I Really? Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm tall and blonde and look like you could very, and you can in these situations pull the wheel over my eyes yeah. and you've never done that before no it's your own home and it's just appalling that that still happens yeah. and you weren't buying it with anybody it was just you it's just me and um, so in the end when the trade started to come to court i had my dad and my brother there that's shit it is shit. <laughs> it's really shit but really true and i remember being really upset the first time and yeah. liam was like this is just how this is and i was like i know that liam's my brother um but we're still in this world where, although I pay for this myself and I am paying you and I earn the money to do this. And, you know, we are now in a world sort of two generations on from my grandmother where she couldn't buy a house by herself. Yeah. And I can buy a house as a 35 year old woman by myself. And yet there's still a situation where my hand has to be held because I will so, get ripped off yeah, standing so in my house by myself. This. And that that was that was sort of one of the lower points of that was just of that was just like this is terrible but the high point is is I got carried away it uh, fueled by my my brother's got an amazing vision he's a landscape architect and he was like well, why don't we just do this whilst we're here and I was like okay but now not a single room in my house is untouched like we have and it's only been a year you know yeah. like Jill that's that's some amount of of speed and pace and mm. you know it's taken me I I work at a snail's pace in any situation but you know, just putting little bits and pieces together, and you know, even doing the kids' playroom—that you know, that's just an IKEA job and a and a cheap couch. But the front room that we're in just now, which is a a, a labour of love, and it's so big that even when you throw a whole ton of furniture into it, it still feels spacious. That that was something that I really had to think about. That I could, you know, I, there was no way I could afford to just come in and go, hey, I'm going to change this completely. And it's taken me five years to get the front room feeling cosy and homely and having enough storage spaces and the, the dining room, you know, sits in, inside the library. And and that's where, you know, that's where the majority of, of entertaining happens. And the one thing that I do love about this house and the interiors are an important aspect to that is that when people come over, they stay for ages, you know, and we sit around the dining table and we eat lunch and then that spills over into dinner and, you know, drinks and... Uh, You're queen of the accidental sleepover. 
yeah, no, that's my that's one of my favourite things in the whole entire world that when lunches and dinners spill into the night and you just say, just stay over, crash on a couch. Or, you know, the kids get shoved into one room and somebody can go into one of the kids' rooms. But the dress up of that, you know, I, I like I like getting dressed up. I like putting makeup on. I like putting a dress on. I love that. I also love being in my pyjamas, don't get me wrong. But I like that. I now like doing that to the house. So the dinner table has become like my face for putting makeup. And I like to strip it back and think about what I want it to look like. And lately, actually, what I've been doing, um, because the Tartan Library is here, or my own Tartan Library, I've got so much surplus Tartan that I've been making placemats um, just from the offcuts. And I don't hem them. I like, you know, I like them to get frayed. Um, and so I put a runner down the middle and then everybody gets a different tartan place setting. And then, like I said, I like to put little kind of tartan ribbons around the outside and then going into the garden and snipping giant bits of greenery and sticking that down the middle. And I always feel like once you've dressed the table, then you can dress yourself, which sounds bonkers, but that's, that's how it feels. I don't, and it drives my mum mad. I don't really like things to match. I hate things matching. There's a time and place for it, but I'm with you. In the next podcast, we are going to be talking about one of the biggest giants in Scottish textiles, and that's Johnson's of Elgin.